land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me. And walk. Good evening and welcome to Yada Yawa. I'm uh, Craig. We have uh, Kirk with us uh, again this uh, evening. Uh, last week's program I did not post uh, until sometime uh, midweek. I understand it is uh, it is there now. Uh, I began last week's program after explaining uh, my analysis of the situation in the Ukraine by reading the text of uh, Yakitzel, not all of it, but uh, a, a goodly part of it, without any of the insights uh, provided by the commentary. Uh, and it was exceedingly harsh. I was almost happy that the show didn't post because it, it is really dark. Um, harsh, what's yeah. going to happen with, uh, with God's people? We're actually going to return to that uh, uh, today and probably for the next uh, three or four weeks. Uh, It is sobering, uh, and it's a story that needs to be told. But um, since this story, as it's presented through the prophet Yaketzel, Ezekiel, uh, I think speaks of what we're witnessing in the Ukraine, I do want to begin again by framing the issues there so that uh, the covenant family has an opportunity to see this from what I think is God's perspective. Um, The world is on the precipice of world war. And the very people that are claiming to be the peacemakers are actually the perpetrators. Uh, the CIA deliberately, knowingly, purposefully, with uh, Barack Obama's blessing, undermined the democratically elected government of the Ukraine back in uh, 2012-2013, that time period approximately. Sounds quite right. Yeah. And, and uh, we 
this is not a conspiracy. This is not my opinion. It's uh, the State Department cables to the Ukrainians to encourage the uprising are uh, are public. State Department does not deny them. Um, and we did so largely because we thought that if we removed a government from the Ukraine that was pro-Russian and installed one that was pro-European, that it would antagonize the Russians to the point that NATO, which had become exceedingly unpopular in America uh, and also in Europe, would have a purpose. And without NATO having a purpose, then there is no military-industrial complex. We have, we have no boogeyman to go off and, uh, and attack because yeah. certainly our military was counterproductive when used against Muslims. Made a bad situation worse. Our military can't be deployed against the Chinese. Uh, it's insanity. It's, the country is too large. There's too many people. There is nothing we can do with our military against the Chinese. And so the only chance of keeping this illusion of uh, the military being a positive contributor to the country was revitalizing NATO. And that's the reason that we played around in that sandbox and, uh, and started the, it's called the maiden revolution, the dignity revolution as sometimes it's called. Well, it backfired. Well, it achieved its goal. Uh, NATO is, uh, is gone from the scrap heap of history to being exceedingly popular. But NATO didn't prevent the invasion of the Ukraine. It caused it. Putin, I think, is probably a psychopath. He may have uh, Oshbergers. He's a very dangerous man. I wouldn't doubt that for a second. But Putin did the right thing initially. He put his troops on the borders of the Ukraine to get the world's attention and said, you need to demilitarize uh, Ukraine. We're, we are playing the Cuban Missile Crisis again. Uh, and we don't want your missiles and your military uh, on our border, nor do we want a military alliance that exists simply to oppose us and uh, and our border, um, what was part of, of our country. It's like uh, Texas deciding they didn't want to be part of the United States and, uh, and the, the Russians making Texas part of the Warsaw Pact and, uh, and filling it with weapons all pointed at America. We're not going to tolerate that. And so that's what we had, and the only thing we had to do, there was just one intelligent adult response. The same thing that happened between Khrushchev and Kennedy in 1962. Demilitarize. Take your missiles and go home. We removed our missiles from Turkey. They removed their missiles from Cuba. We didn't have a war. But this time... America did just the opposite. In fact, it was so belligerent in provoking this war that you have to wonder if it wasn't intentional, if Biden didn't realize that 
he was going to be so embarrassed in the midterm elections, he would become so unpopular, uh, that the only chance he had of reviving his sagging situation was to be a wartime president. Mm. Who cares how many people die? And that's the only rational explanation for his behavior. And he's become immensely popular in the media because there's nobody in the media that can think this through. And the Ukrainians are being presented as these virtuous paradigm of democracy and, and freedom-loving people. I want to tell you, no, they're among the worst people on the planet. Uh, we're going to go into it. I don't know if we'll reach that far into this chapter on this program, if it takes us two or three programs, but we're going to get right into it as to why, from Yahweh's perspective, they had it coming. And I will guarantee you, God is not shedding a tear for what's happening in Ukraine. But I am deeply troubled by this. Yes, I know, because Yahweh has told us that the world will be at war. That the time between 2030 and 2033 is going to be exceedingly dark. There will be a nuclear exchange. The world will be a killing field. Men and women are going to die in unprecedented numbers. It's going to be horrible out there. But we're speaking to you tonight, for those listening to the archives, and the opening days of 2022. That's eight years before I thought the world would be enveloped in war. And be clear about this. There is no solution here now. There was an easy one, but that ship has sailed. In fact, Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator, I think, what, North Carolina, South Carolina, one of the Carolinas, actually mm-hmm. told Probably. the Russian people to assassinate Putin. Oh, I saw that. God. I mean, good grief. We've lost it. Continuing to sanction Russians, continuing to, uh, what did Putin or Biden say? He wanted to send something in the range like $100 billion worth of weapons into the Ukraine. You know what's going to happen if Russians are killed in significant numbers with sophisticated American weapons? Do you know what's going to happen? If the Ukraine is so armed and so encouraged by the West to, uh, uh, to fight this battle to be part of the NATO alliance and to be uh, Russia's enemy, that it becomes a, a, um, a losing battle for Russia. Do you think that Russia is just going to pack up and go home? No. Pack up and go home? Does anybody think that that Putin's a patsy, or do you recognize he is a psychopath? Russia has more nuclear warheads than any other country on Earth. Between the United States, by the way, and Russia, we we have about 95% of the world's nuclear armaments. 
but Russia has more than we do, enough to destroy mm-hmm. the world many, many times over. And the last thing you ought to be doing, which is what the entire world is doing, is provoking a man who we have every reason to think is probably a psychopath, such that that is his only alternative. It's insane. And to think all we had to do to prevent it is say, you're right. We've been through this before. Cuban Missile Crisis, rational minds prevailed. We demilitarized Turkey. We demilitarized, uh, they demilitarized uh, Cuba. And there we were. We live on for decade after decade after decade, but not this time. I'm going to blame it principally on the dumbing down of the world's population. We've known for some time that the religious are incapable of thinking. We've known some time that the conspiratorial are incapable of thinking. But something happened along the way as we moved past political correctness to being a progressive where evidence and reason, rational thought, were completely mm-hmm. discarded. And where the only voice there is now of any consequence in the media and in politics that's acceptable is that of the progressives. And I'm telling you, they're insane. And so now there's a group think here that is wallowing in their, uh, and their self-righteousness when they're actually the perpetrators of what causes. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is the preamble. That is, uh, that is not what you're going to hear anyplace else, but we speak from the position of Yahweh's instructions, not from man's politics. By the way, I'd like to welcome those of you listening for the first time in Ontario. I think that is where uh, the social media is being uh, run uh, this particular week. Uh, and for those that haven't been, the yadayah.com website is really a spectacular tool. All of the books that we have written and rewritten are there on the bookshelf for you to uh, to read. And uh, as is the case with Yahweh, we strongly encourage the written word over the spoken word. We do the spoken word because it helps to introduce this program to people, draws people in so that they're they find the books, but the written word is a far more effective tool yeah. when it comes Sit to uh, learning, learning, growing, yeah. verifying. And uh, something has changed on the, uh, the site. It always was a difficult telling people where to begin. You know, if you were a Christian, we said, uh, you know, begin with uh, questioning Paul. There's now four volumes of those. If you were a- an agnostic uh, we said begin with the uh, the first book of Yadda Yadda. Yadda. It's called Beginning, mm-hmm. and then the Man Family, uh, because it it will demystify the uh, the Torah and show it as a very intelligent, psych, uh, scientifically and historically accurate um, presentation, presentation of how mm-hmm. we got here. Uh, and something though has changed, and that is that the the first three volumes of uh, of an introduction to god all three are posted in the site although the, for only the first half of torah 
is actually uh, on the site because I'm a chapter and a half away from completing volume three. But an introduction to God has become a really effective way to uh, begin uh, the process of getting to know who Yahweh is, what he is offering, and what he is expecting in return. So I think we now have a really sound uh, way for people to uh, come to know God. And it grows as you uh, go through these uh, these books. The the observation uh, series, uh, which is Perspective, Covenant, Growing, Teaching, and Understanding, Exceedingly Strong, and then Coming uh, Home, A Voice and Messiah, uh, take us through the, the Psalms and introduce us to the Messiah and the Son of God, who happens to be Doe to David. All right, with that said, we are, we're going to begin about 20 pages in uh, to... What is the, I think it's the 11th chapter of volume three of an introduction to God. Mm -hmm. It's not posted yet on the website, and it's probably two weeks away from from being posted and being published as a book. And the reason we're going to start here is because this is a wake-up call. This is exceedingly harsh. Um criticism that God has of his people. And it's important for us to hear it, to think about it, to know it, uh, because we don't have much time left. And uh, Jews who are the target audience for our work, for Yahweh's uh, testimony, um, typically fall into two camps. There is the religious, which are becoming ever more orthodox. They call themselves ultra-orthodox, Hasidic. Uh, that's the Judaism of the black hats and the black morning suits and the curly cues. And um, You're going to find out God doesn't think much of them. In fact, he despises them. Uh, and then they're the secular Jews. A uh, huge percentage are progressives. They're actually anti-Israel. Uh, they're actually pro-Fakistinian. It's, it's an amazing uh, group. Uh, mm. being, uh, kind of the far extreme of reason. But that's, those are the two largest groups of, uh, of Israeli Jews. And so there's not a, a lot that uh, we can reach. And it's looking like Yahweh's reunion with his people on Yom Kippur, which is the day of reconciliations, it's going to occur in year 6000 Yah, which is October 2nd at sunset in Jerusalem, uh, October 2nd of 2033. Uh, it's going to be thousands amongst the 15 million Jews. And so I, I don't want to miss a moment and holding out hope that we can do our job and awaken uh, Jews from uh, their extreme revolt against God, both on the left and the right. So as we enter the presentation of, uh, of Yahweh and Ezekiel, Yah it means God grows, we find that 
that the testimony that we have considered in Zachariah, remember Yah, as we approach the fulfillment of Kippurim, which was very, very harsh in its criticism of uh, religious Jews, political Jews. And then we turned and we've covered considerable portions of Yashaya, Isaiah, uh, which is an expose on God's animosity towards the religion of his people, uh, then and now. Uh, that Ezekiel takes it one step further. It's, Ezekiel takes it about the same place that Yermiah, Jeremiah does. I mean, uh, translated uh, the eighth chapter of Jeremiah today. And just to give you a heads up, God says, listen, I am, I'm so disgusted by the leadership of Israel, uh, particularly the religious leaders of Israel, that I'm literally going to dig up their bones. And then I'm going to spread them on the earth and watch as I turn them to dung. I will assure you there will be no harvest for the religious Jews. There, there will be no tomb for them. They will prefer to be dead over what's going to happen to them, continue to live. So to engender that degree of animosity from God, you've been belligerent um, a very long time. And, and in a very extreme manner. So Yaketzel is, is part of that story. And uh, what's so amazing here is that the prophets all tell the same story. And it's overwhelming. It, for those who have been part of the covenant family and have been reading these books now for the past uh, 10 to 15 years, I've been doing it 20 uh, mm -hmm. You know that I have not spent a lot of time um, on the the days preceding Yahweh's return. I just haven't. Uh, it's, my interest has been getting to know Yahweh, coming to understand the Torah, coming to understand the terms and conditions of the covenant, coming to understand the creation account, what happened and what the reasons were uh, in the flood trying to, to develop a better appreciation of the nature of Gone Eden, the Garden of Eden, because we're going back there. I really wanted to have a keen understanding as to what each one of the seven Moed Mikre represents, how it was fulfilled, what it does relative to our relationship with God, how it facilitates the benefits of the covenant. Um, we spent a lot of time learning about uh, who Dode is as the Son of God, how he is the Messiah. Um, we, uh, we've invested a lot of time disproving the Christian New Testament and Paul in particular. Um, but I haven't spent a lot of time doing the thing that is most fascinating uh, to particularly to evangelical Christians, which is uh, in their end times. Yeah. yeah, what's going to happen mm -hmm. in the end times. Uh, and, of course, they're stuck in Revelation, which is at best a, uh, a summary of things that we're going to read here. And Ezekiel, you also find some of Daniel, some of uh, Yeshua, some of Yermaya uh, tossed down. <clears throat> so we haven't spent a lot of time on this. Uh, I always felt that 
if we were prepared as it relates to the covenant, we were prepared in terms of our understanding of the Moed Mikre, if we were uh, educated on the purpose and intent of the Torah, that the end would take care of itself. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the way, while our mission has always been to reach out to Yehuda, to Yisrael, to call God's people home, and it has been that for the 21 years we've been at this, um, somewhere in the rewrite, it became obvious that, um, that we have a very special place in that role uh, and that God has a lot to say about what we're doing. And uh, it became evident that without what we're doing, there would be no return. Frankly, Yom Kippurim would not be attended. That there, this is hard to say, but it's, uh, it's nonetheless true. That mm-hmm. over the past 3,000 years, God hasn't heard a single correct thing spoken by a Yehud Jew. So there's not a single rightful statement that they have made. They are universally estranged from God. Ignorant of his name, ignorant of what his covenant represents, ignorant of what the Torah's purpose is, completely unaware of what the Mikre um, accomplish. About. Mm-hmm. And so there is absolutely no reason to suspect that after 3,000 years of antagonizing Yahweh, that something is miraculously going to happen within the Jewish community. And they say, hey, you know, really our religion and politics have really gotten us in a lot of trouble. And, you know, uh, we should probably uh, stop doing what we're doing, stop antagonizing God, throw away the damn Talmud, and start paying attention to what the prophets have told us. There's no hesitation. And if you read the prophets, moment. God doesn't like us yeah. very much. So no. <laughs> there's nothing we can do that's worse than what we've done. You'd... But I'm here to tell you, that's a pipe dream. And it is the, the definition of insanity to think that, that if you continue to, to do the same thing, you're going to get a different result. Without what we're doing and a shrill, consistent, forceful, blunt voice that is backed up by Yahweh's Torah teaching and his prophetic Nambi revelation, there is nothing that's going to change in the Jewish community. We're it. And for that change to occur with enough Jews to make Yahweh's return on Yom Kippurim and Reconciliation Day satisfactory, um, we're not going to be able to, uh, to be pacifists. 
God is exceedingly angry. He calls his return the day of anguishing anger. And he is going to annihilate the vast preponderance of the remaining of his people. That's how bad it has become. So we're going to do everything in our power and Yahweh's inspiration to awaken his children. And part of that begins right here in Yaketzel. His cynicism and criticism is harsh. But through him, Yahweh reveals the ugly truth about Judaism. And before we continue, there is a tendency of, uh, of Jews to bypass Ezekiel, to say, you know, he was just disgruntled. He was way too into doom and gloom. Well, you've got a problem there. And there's two, really. One is the voice of Yaketzel is Yahweh's. Through and through, Yahweh speaking. Yaketzel has a few speaking parts, but they're few and far between. So to write off Yaketzel as to say that it's the prophet's fault is to say that uh, God's not stable, that it's God's fault. Second, the message at Yaketzel is the same message is in Yashaya, Isaiah, as Hosha. Zachariah and Yermiah. Same exact message. So somewhere along the line, you have to shake your head and say, what's wrong with Jews? Why can't you see this? God is speaking of the last days, and he says your religion is repulsive. And yet... You pretend like by being religious, you're doing a, a service to God and to the country. The reason that this expose in uh, Yach itself is in uh, the introduction to God is because I had originally devoted an entire volume to the Torah. And so the Torah volume begins with what the Torah says about the Torah. And then it transitions to what the Mizmor say about the Torah and then to what the prophets say about the Torah. And we're in the second to third, yeah, the second to last of those prophets. So from the Torah to Yosha and Shamuel, from Dodes, Mizmor, and Mashal to the prophets, Yashaya, Yermaya, and Zachariah, Yahweh consistently and continually exposes and condemns the politics and the religion of his people. He excoriates their leadership, then and now. The very book Religious Jew claims serves as the basis of their faith relentlessly undermines every protestation. And while Judaism is not the most prevalent, the most misguided, the most destructive religion God condemns, it garners the most prophetic ink because Jews are his people. 
Now, that's something I want you to think deeply about before we progress. Anytime a Jew hears someone speak about Judaism in a negative way, they want to label that mm-hmm. individual anti-Semitic. Uh, sure. But what I'm reporting to you is what Yahweh has to say about Judaism. And I can assure you, Yahweh is not anti-Semitic. And I've devoted the last 21 years of my life. I get and sit in this chair before 6 o'clock most mornings, and I'm still sitting in it, translating and conveying the word of Yahweh on behalf of Yehudim Jews until 6 or 7 o'clock at night. I do it 10 to 12 hours a day, 6 and 7 days a week. I don't think there's anyone on the planet more devoted to helping Jews reestablish their relationship with God than I am. But I'm not going to lie. Yahweh despises Judaism. And the big difference is that the rabbis would insist that you are not Jewish unless you are an adherent to ultra-Orthodox fundamentalist Judaism. That that defines what it means to be Jewish. And Yahweh takes exactly the opposite approach. You cease to be a Yahud, beloved of Yah, when you are religious. It is Judaism that separates you from being the chosen people. But the other point I wanted to make, and I reemphasize this, I have written the most condemning book ever scribed against Islam, Prophet of Doom. If you think I'm picking on Judaism because I happen to hold another religion, you would be wrong. I am anti-religious, as is God. And my first book on religion was Prophet of Doom, and it uses the Quran and Hadith to reorder Muhammad's recital so that it is chronological and set into the context of his life, and it is the most condemning book on Islam, the Quran, Muhammad, and Allah ever written. Ever written. And it is is irrefutable. And should you think that, that, uh, like most anti-Semites, that if I'm not a Muslim, that I must be a Christian, you'd be wrong. Yeah, I once was. But I haven't been a Christian in, well, well over 20 years. And I don't think there is ever been written a more condemning book of Christianity than Questioning Paul. The four volumes of Questioning Paul absolutely destroy the credibility of Paul, the credibility of his letters, the credibility of the so-called Gospels, the credibility of the, the integrity of the text of the Christian New Testament. Uh, it is systematically undermined, destroyed, proven to be false. And I do it not because I'm mean to Christians. I do it because the Christian religion has been the second most diabolical scheme ever perpetrated against God's people. 
the third worst, is Islam, which is why Yahweh asked me to expose and condemn it. But you know what the most destructive religion has been in terms of its detrimental effect on Jews? Uh, rabbinic Judaism. The mother, yeah, the mother of religions. The mother of yeah. Islam, the mother of Christianity. Judaism. They forget all the others. And so be aware that, uh, that we have devoted four volumes in questioning Paul to destroying every aspect of Christianity. Everything. And I've written the most comprehensive and best documented text ever to disprove the religion of Islam. So the only reason now that we have turned our attention to Judaism is because we made a commitment long ago, almost 21 years now ago. We began this on Teruah in 2001. I promised God that I'd go to where his words lead. I would follow them no matter where they led. If his words destroyed my politics, then I was going to no longer be political. If his words destroyed what had been my religion, then I would Embrace him. agree with him yeah. and go and, and, yeah. uh, and be on the front lines of explaining why God despises Christianity. He does. And, have, and yeah. I, and I yeah. did. All the way through this, we've made a commitment to go to where God's words lead, and we're not changing now because there is no better place to be. And God's words lead to this point. There is nothing, nothing in the history of humankind that antagonizes Yahweh more than Judaism. And that is the point he's going to make over and over again. And we'll soon see why that has led to the invasion of the Ukraine. So how is it that otherwise intelligent and literate people, 15 points IQ jump beyond the average mm -hmm. human, uh, winners of more... Nobel Prizes and, uh, and advancements in the sciences than any other people. How is it that the most intelligent and literate people, uh, we have to take the Herodim out of that list. They're very poorly educated. They really are very poorly educated. They're not oh, yeah. They're not allowed to read anything. Not even educated in Hebrew or in, they, they speak Yiddish. Uh, or in English, no sciences, no math. They are in an intellectual ghetto placed there by their rabbis. But with that exception, and of course the progressives uh, squander intellect because evidence and reason no longer matter. Jews are exceptional. And yet, how is it? that given direct access to the only book God actually inspired, written to them, written for them, in their presence, in their language, and yet they remain unaware 
that God hates their religion, their rabbis, and their sages. God's condemnation of Judaism isn't a subplot, among other things. It is the single most reoccurring object of his disdain throughout the entirety of his written testament. At, well, I think I mentioned a week ago I received a, a letter from a uh, uh, an ultra-Orthodox Jew who who uh, wants to um, challenge this notion that God despises Judaism and that Judaism has been the single greatest detriment to the people. In other words, he wants to chan- channel God's testimony. And he, and he says, you know, the, the Torah can't be anti-Judaism because there was no Judaism at the time of the Torah. And um, I'm here to tell you that... <laughs> they, you can look ahead. They, that that if, you may want to reread the Torah because... Mm-hmm. Uh, the moment that Yahweh got his people safely on the other side of the Red Sea, and they were at the base of, uh, of Mount Horeb, and Moshe was up there uh, receiving the Torah, what's the first thing that the Israelites, who had just been saved from the religious cauldrons of Mitzrayim, what's the first thing they did? I went back to Mizraim with the golden right. calf. You're right. Yeah. They became religious, and mm-hmm. nothing has changed. That's why they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That's why God has been so condemning of them. That's why he's going to dig up the bones of every Israeli leader going back all that time and desecrate them. So Jews have been religious for a long time. If you want to talk about Judaism, it's actually the youngest of the major religions in the world. It was uh, Judaism as it's practiced today was founded by uh, Baal Shem Tov, um, who didn't write a word, by the way. So he becomes the the perfect so-called prophet to project a religion upon because you can write anything you want about him and claim it to be true. Um, we will find out that uh, he conceived and developed and then disseminated uh, Hasidic Judaism. From drumroll, please, the Ukraine, which is yes, a, huge, a huge <laughs> part of this story. Wow. So the introduction to Judaism's demise, as it's presented in the book Yaketel, one one begins, and it came to be the thirteenth year of the fourth of the fifth month, which uh, I was uh, uh, while I was among the exiles around the Kabar far off waterway, the uh, heavens were opened and I saw revelations and communications of God. So this occurred eh, sometime between Shabuah and Teruah in the summer of 592 BCE during the people's enslavement in Babylon. It was the fifth year of the exile of King Joachim. Uh, during the fifth of the month, 
that the word of Yahweh came to be then and forevermore with Yaketzel. Yaketzel means Yahweh, or God, actually. It's, it's not Yoketzel, it's Yaketzel. Okay, okay. So mm-hmm. uh, it's God empowers, God strengthens, he prevails, God enables, and God grows. Very interesting concept. Of, I mean, I could have taken no any one of those and, and called Yaketzel, yeah. God empowers, God strengthens, God prevails, God enables. My personal favorite is God grows because that is a concept that nobody wants to push together. Uh, no. Yes, to place on God. How could the Almighty grow? Well, I'm telling you that the Almighty isn't growing; He's dying. And since God's not dying, He must be growing. It's the nature of being infinite and in, uh, in power uh, is that you must be continuing. To grow, infinity is uh, is not a finite concept, and so the only reason that God would have to create humanity with all the aggravation that we have caused Him, because with some of us He has developed a relationship that He enjoys, and just as we benefit and we grow from raising children and sharing things with others, God grows as well through these experiences. And so God is doing this because he benefits from it, from the best of those relationships. Anyway, Yaketzel presents himself as the son of Buzi. And I don't think he's talking about uh, Jack Daniels. No, but Buzi means emerging from contempt, mockery, and disrespect. So it may be somewhat related to Jack who was the royal advisor and priest in the land of Kashtim, Chaldea, which is a synonym for Babylon, on the mm-hmm. Kabar uh, Canal. Canal. Yeah, and the influence of Yahweh, she came upon him there in that place. She is an interesting uh, uh, pronoun here. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, and, and we're going to find that Yahweh has a lot to say about the spirit of Yahweh. But it is mm-hmm. the spirit of Yahweh that counsels us, that, that communicates uh, with us, um, uh, and particularly in role of, uh, of Chodor. You have the seven spirits of Yahweh uh, empowering and influencing and enabling, uh, enlightening. So the Ruach Kodesh, the set-apart spirit of Yahweh, is mm-hmm. the feminine yeah. manifestation of Yah's uh, nature. So Yahweh, while he doesn't have sexuality, uh, conveys both a paternal and a maternal uh, nature as it relates to his prime objective, which is to establish the covenant family. Okay, the marara, the revelations and communications, the appearance of visual images and audible messages, came to Yaketzel as the Debar, the word of Yahweh. It's a little-known fact, but the word of God is the primary manifestation of Yahweh's presence in our world. The Twistians want to see God as a person, as Jesus Christ. He's 
none of the things that he they think he is. He's not Jesus. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. He happens to be the Passover lamb, and his name was actually Yosef. But fact of the matter is, that's not the way you would perceive God. In fact, you've got to, there's nothing about that physical man that was the least bit impressive. No, the thing that's impressive about God, the thing that is revealing about God in our world is his words. Mm-hmm. Study his words, amplify his words, care about his words, observe his words, and you will see God. So if you want to see God, if you want God to introduce himself to you and have a conversation with you, immerse yourself in his words. Listen to what he has to say. Now, while we've come to Ezekiel to consider what Yahweh revealed about his Torah, before we turn to the first of what are seven times that God's teaching is referenced among his prophecies, let's review this affirmation of Yahweh's overt animosity towards Judaism as we read what follows in this prophecy, one which will be fulfilled upon Yahweh's return. God's warning to the religious It's blunt, it's unequivocal, and my friends, it is graphic. And while many may initially chafe at what Yahweh must do to rid the world of religion and the religious, and most especially Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews in Judaism, may I suggest that your revulsion should be directed elsewhere. Even with God pleading with his people not to be religious, through every prophet over the course of 1,000 years, 1450 BCE to 450 BCE, and even with him telling them that he is going to slay those who are religious and crush every religious symbol, Jews continue to advocate for Judaism and continue to antagonize the Almighty. Amazing. It would be cruel for God to kill them while wiping out all traces of their religion without these warnings. And yet it is cruel to God for the religious under such circumstances to continue to taunt him continuing to do what he must now eradicate to restore the earth and live among his children. This is one of the most stinging indictments of Jews ever written. And it comes from the God who loves them more than anyone. Yahweh is prophesying against Yisrael because he wants there to be someone left to save. The word of Yahweh came to be with me to say, Son of man, establish your presence against the high places of Yisrael and prophesy against them. Say, prominent in high places of Yisrael, you should listen to the word of my upright one, Yahweh. This is what Yahweh, my upright one, 
says to the prominent and high places and to those at a little lower elevation, to the depressed and to the proud. Behold, I myself will come bringing a sword over you. Then I will destroy your places of worship. A sword was al-atem chereb, a cutting and dividing implement, an engraving tool that is from choreb upon mm-hmm. you, therefore with the Torah coming over you. And then I will destroy your places of worship. Your altars will be devastated and desolated, and your religious imagery reminiscent of your idolatrous worship, including blowing smoke on behalf of false gods, will be scrutinized and broken. And I will bring down and then cast down your deceased who are defiled before your religious dung. Before your religious dung. In the presence of your disgusting symbols and images, the crappy things you have come to establish, idolize, and venerate. And I will place the corpses of the descendants of Yisrael in the presence of their disgusting religious symbols and the dung they have acclaimed. And I will scatter your essential essence, even your bones, all around your religious altars. Wherever you dwell, Hmm. those cities will be laid waste and desolated. And while the sites of religious worship, they're going to be left destitute. As a result of the damage they have done, your religious altars will lie in ruins. The religious things you have venerated will be shattered while observing the Shabbat. The religious imagery reminiscent of your idolatrous sun worship, including your propensity to blow smoke, will cease to exist. Your customs and practices will be wiped away and blotted out. When the slain fall, dropping in your midst, you will know and understand without question, I am Yahweh. Well, that will be all she wrote for uh, religion, destroyed by the very God the religious ignored so that they could honor the words of misguided and self-serving men. Estranged from the source of life, they will all die an ignominious death, their lives forever associated with their objects of worship. And please let it be known. The two most prevalent symbols of Judaism, the kippah and the Star of David, have origins in sun god worship. The kippah was borrowed from the Greeks during the time of the Maccabees, and the star, which is a sun, emerged from the Zohar. While every word of this is overtly anti-religious, The concluding line was perhaps the most telling. For 800 years, beginning with the Torah's depiction of the flood and Exodus, Yahweh has been consistently 
delivering this message. Religion is deceitful. It is destructive and deadly. It is damning. Now he is tangibly demonstrating that he was right and he should have been trusted. With the religious falling dead all around them, those who survive will know that Yahweh inspired his prophets and that he is God. There was a purpose to all of this, a reason for cleaning house. God says, I will leave a remnant. I will leave a remnant. I will spare a few so that some remain, so that there will be some survivors who escape the sword. Among you, along with some Gentiles, here where you were scattered throughout the earth. Yaketzel 6.8 It is as we have come to expect a remnant of Yehudim, Jews, will be spared along with some Goyim Gentiles. And while God did not quantify the number of each ethnicity who would survive, suffice it to say it's not going to be many. Very likely thousands among millions and billions. That is to suggest that the remnant will be comprised of one in a thousand Jews and only one in a million Gentiles. And this means the religious deceit will remain entrenched until God removes it. Isn't that a shame? Only one in a million Goyim and one in a thousand Jews will survive to embrace Yahweh by name when he returns. Also, since the Goyim will come from the places Jews had been scattered, most will hail from the United States. As many Jews live in America as currently dwell in Israel, 42% of the world's Jewish population. With those opposed to Yahweh's name and guidance gone, those who remain will be singing uh, more pleasing lyrics. This is the next line of Yaketzel. Those who have escaped and been spared among you will be reminded of me and they will proclaim the truth about me. Along with the Goyim, people from other ethnicities, from where they had been oppressed. This is where, as a result of the relationship, I was crushed. I was crushed over their unfaithful thinking and their disloyal inclinations as they have turned away from me. They've abandoned me. And as a result of their disloyal and despised viewpoint regarding the things they worship and venerate right to the end. They have remained divided and self-destructed, especially repugnant, even among themselves. For their wrongful shepherding and immoral associations, which they have engaged in, for all of their detestable abominations and repulsive religious behavior. But it's breathtaking. Not only for Yahweh, is it heartbreaking for him, 
it's also heartbreaking for everyone who loves him, for those of us who mm-hmm. care about his people. Uh, well, God's got to clean up the mess Yisrael and Yehuda have made to restore the earth back to the Garden of Eden. This is likely the saddest moment of his eternal existence. And I say that recognizing there have been many. Uh, Yahweh overtly regretted having conceived mankind when the hallmark of civilization became violence and subjugation so soon after receiving a nasama from Eden's exiles. So that we would not squander what he intended with our incessant wars and pervasive caste system, God cleaned house and began again, only to witness the same result. Religious and political oppression have continued to be the common denominator of human civilization. Kirk, you're a historian um, mm-hmm. by, uh, by hobby. Uh, that's a harsh statement. But I think no, it would really. be by almost any true student of history that religious and political oppression are the common denominator, the hallmark of human civilization. Yeah. They work you to death as slaves. And they throw you on the altar as sacrifices, human yeah, sacrifices. And if, you're, and if you're not a slave, you're still subject to the caste system. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And constant, wars, constant wars, constant uh, sacrifice even of humans to their gods, constant terror, oppression. Yeah, it was, sadness is unmistakable. Uh, there are not people, there, uh, these are not people with whom... He was acquainted when he uh, uh, had to do the Great Reset during the Flood. But now we're talking about people whom he knows. He established and and affirmed his covenant with Abraham, with Yishak, and with Jacob. He delivered their descendants from Mitzrayim. He authored his Torah in their midst. He escorted Yisrael to the Promised Land. And every one of his prophets, from Moshe to Malachi, had been a Israelite. Equally revealing. He had made a promise to restore his relationship with them. Something which not be accomplished in the presence of their religion. Yehudim have crushed Yahweh. deeply saddening God with their relentless devotion to their religion. But that is not the only emotion being conveyed, nor even the most powerful. For Yahweh to slay his people in such numbers, and for him to toss their corpses along with their bones of the defiled and deceased around the ruins of their religious edifices, tells us that they have engendered the animosity of the Almighty. He is revolted by what they have done to themselves and to others. He is disgusted that they have venerated themselves rather than respect him. God's hatred of 
disingenuous rabbis and their disgusting religious outfits of these of their Babylonian Talmud and their occultic Zohar and their derisive rhetoric and pathetic rituals is palpable. We are witnessing animosity at such a level. It behooves us to consider what drove Yahweh to this point and cease contributing to his anger before we are among the slain who are scattered among the ruins, the religion. Please, Yisrael, Yahuda, yes, Goyim too, disassociate from Judaism and Christianity, from Islam and socialist secular humanism before you're counted among the carnage. If you don't like what Yahweh is saying that he is going to do, then don't be accounted among these people. Stop antagonizing him. It's simple. Since Yahweh's animosity towards Yisrael was a result of their religion, and since Judaism is less adverse to the Torah than is Christianity, those adhering to the myths of the world's most popular religion are on the cusp of their last prayer. Unaware of the consequence of participating in Toabah, abhorrent religious worship, they too will be annihilated, which must be done to restore the planet and make it safe for those who will endure with God. Mm-hmm. Then they will know and acknowledge without equivocation that I am Yahweh. Kirk, that's impossible the way uh, the world is today. Christians yeah. deny Yahweh's name. The Roman Catholic Church, the most popular and popular outlawed Christian institute, absolutely outlawed. Papal decree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Judaism you couldn't get an Orthodox Jew to say or write Yahweh's say name if his Yahweh. life depended on it. He'd Correct. rather commit to Islam than say Yahweh's name. Uh, Yahweh's name is never true. mentioned in the Talmud. Yeah. Never. So, the acknowledgement of Yahweh as God is something so few people do outside of those who have read these books and have been part of our voyage of discovery, I'd, I'd say it's nil. Well, most of this is right was. off the first tablet he wrote. Right. You, know, you can't so. be with me. You can't be with me in another God. You, you have to know my name. You don't besmirch my name. First statement of the first tablet. Yeah. You will not exist with any other God. And he says, I am Yahweh who liberated you from being enslaved in the crucibles of Mitzrayim. Religion, yeah. Yeah. It will not be in vain that I spoke to them about engaging in this ruinous and evil behavior. So if Yahweh says, it's not going to be in vain that I spoke to them about this ruinous and evil behavior, and that, that they're finally going to know and acknowledge without equivocation that he is Yahweh, how is that going to happen? Are there any rabbis writing about this? No. Are there any Christians writing about this? No. No. 
Are there any Muslims writing about this? No. Are there any socialist, secular, humanists writing about this? No. Not a one. Not a one. In fact, you're listening to the only person writing about this. And so, if Yahweh's announcement, prophetic announcement, that it's not going to be in vain that I spoke to them about engaging in this ruinous behavior, because they will finally come to Yada, Yahweh, then where else but Yada, Yahweh? Ezekiel 6.10. There will be three benefits derived from Yahweh's overt condemnation of, of Judaism. First, those of us who are receptive to his guidance unequivocally understand that God hates religion and that we should not believe any variation of it. Second, those who continue to antagonize God have been warned, such that God has been fair. And third, there will be sufficient Yehudim and Goyim, who respond to these directions to fulfill Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations to Yahweh's satisfaction. And that is why I'm translating this message and bringing this prophecy to your attention. Become one of them. Well, the next mention of the Torah is in the next chapter. Before we open it, I... I I want to share another insight. Please never limit the Torah to the five books ascribed to Moshe. Yahweh's Torah teaching and guidance permeate everything he inspired, and therefore his Torah instructions and directions are found throughout the prophets. Moreover, there is a considerable amount of prophecy in the Torah as Moshe is called, the greatest of the prophets. So while Yahweh's testimony was conceived from circa 1450 BCE through 450 BCE, the message is consistent because the Torah, Nabi, Wamizmor are one. And speaking of prophecy, time is up. The word, Debar, of Yahweh came to be with me. You, son of man, this is what Yahweh has to say to the land of Yisrael. The end will come, the completion of time, for the four extremities of the earth. So now the end is upon you, and I will dispatch my frustration and anger upon you. I will judge you based upon your ways, properly compensating you in accord with all of your detestable abominations and repulsive religion. So let it be known. This is Yahweh, the creator God of the universe, and he is condemning Judaism as it is practiced today. Mm-hmm. He is frustrated that his people have continued to be religious right to the end. And he is not only going to judge them, he will be holding them accountable for Judaism, which he views as abhorrent. 
and let me reemphasize. I could open right now and read to you the eighth chapter of Yermia, translated it today. It says exactly the same thing. The opening 14 chapters of Yashaya say exactly the same thing. Therefore, rabbis and those loyal to them can protest all they would like. They can claim that I'm wrong about God hating Judaism and every form practiced today. Since Yahweh is never wrong, I am the least of their problems. Now my wife will tell you that um, uh, that I am the worst of their problems because nobody else is saying this. But let me tell you, to be a witness of God, to witness to what Yahweh is saying, and to recognize this is God saying it, and this is what he says he's going to do, uh-huh. don't think for a moment that the witness is your problem. Never the messenger. Nope. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to cop out and say, hey, you know, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. Well, no, it's still. It's, uh, yeah, and the, and the reason I won't cop out and say have that to do this. is yeah. because I agree with God. Yeah, he has to do this. There's uh, no other way. I, I am, well, uh, not the same caliber of son that Dode was, but I'm a child of God. I'm part of God's family, just as every covenant member is. Uh, he's my dad. I love him. I admire him. I respect him. I enjoy his company. Uh, and so I, I'm not without bias. And what I have found all along is that when my thoughts, my perspective, my attitude are in sync with his, that uh, well, that's a good thing. And so I'm not going to cop out and say, don't blame me. This is God speaking because uh, based upon what God has taught, I agree with him. God says, my perceptions will not spare you. My views are going to leave no room for pity, no compassion towards you. God says, speaking to Jews, I will have no mercy due to your ways. You brought me to this. I will bring upon you, giving back to you your detestable abominations and your repulsive religion, which exists in your midst. And then you will be aware and understand. You will finally acknowledge that indeed I am Yahweh, Ezekiel 7.4. When Yahweh tells us that he is going to juxtapose Judaism and the Jews who accepted it, who promoted it. What he is saying is those people will have to be forever separated from me. So this is the worst 
possible thing that could occur. Death would be better mm-hmm. than to have your religion and you viewed as one and the same by God. Now, most Jews, certainly every politically active progressive and Herodim, have already forfeited the right to the title chosen people. They have become God's foes, which upon his return will not be pleasant, the death sentence. God's adversaries, which uh, at least upon his uh, return, he has said of this so often, he clearly wants us to know that Israeli politics and the Jewish religion are toaba. They're repulsive and abhorrent. Those who rally to either cause are seen as repugnant. But alas, the Sheol, hell, religious Jews are wont to deny in life will be remarkably familiar in death. They will be buried with the very things they love, they treasure, slathered with the shame of the same brush that they use to paint the world. The things Yahweh predicts his people will do are bad because their most pervasive influence, religion, is bad. And yet, even in a sea of such dire predictions, there is a ray of hope. By revealing this is going to happen and by explaining when and why it is going to occur, God proves that he exists and can be trusted. Once you come to recognize this, your decisions regarding God become appreciably easier. Or not. Thus says Yahweh, one miserable disaster will follow another perverse experience. Here and now it will come. The end has come. The harvest has arrived. The conclusion of time will finally dawn upon you perhaps awakening some to action. Pay attention, it is coming. This doom will come upon you, O inhabitants of the land and earth. The time is near and quickly approaching for the day of consternation and confusion and a panic for those who remain unaware. There will be no joy, no acclamation or shouting in the high places. The time is nigh, and the occasion is drawing near when I will pour out my extreme displeasure and righteous indignation upon you, and I will unleash my grievances and resulting animosity against you. In addition, I will judge you by associating you with your conduct in life. And I will bring upon you every one of your repugnant and repulsive religious abominations. I see no reason to demonstrate compassion or to show sympathy, considering the nature of your conduct. And I will bring upon you, giving back to you, your detestable religion which continually exists in your midst. And then you will know. Finally acknowledge and accept that surely I am Yahweh, 
who was striking, destroying, and killing. How can you remain a religious Jew when this was written to you in your language through one of your own? There is no way to interpret this any other way than this is a prophecy for the very last of days, the end of time. Year 6,000 Yah, which as we sit in 2022, is just 11 years away. And God is saying, your religion is detestable. And I'm going to have to kill you. Hmm. I'm disgusted by you. You've antagonized me beyond hope. I no longer see any reason to demonstrate compassion. Translating the words spoken by God regarding his perceptions of Jews and Judaism as we approach his return, I'm struck by the total exasperation and pent-up animosity finally being released upon his retrobate family. There's no compassion here, no hope, no empathy in these words, only disgust and a sense of duty. It is utterly apparent and completely undeniable that Yahweh hates Judaism with a passion. No other foe, not even Satan or his accomplices, Paul or Mohammed, has engendered such wrath. There'll be no escape. No pleas for another chance. Nary a sound. As the lives of millions of Jews are snuffed out in one horrifying moment. It will not be painless, however. Because it will be drawn out long enough for the religious to realize that they're being judged and condemned on the basis of the religion that denied the name of God. It is Yahweh who is now slaughtering Yehudim. And this will not be as it was with Sodom. Abraham will not be there to plead on behalf of 50, of 45, of 40 of 30, of 20, or for the sake of just 10 righteous souls. There will be none. Judaism will have corrupted and condemned every one of those being afflicted and slain. That's the point, yeah. Imagine the confusion, the consternation, the sense of exasperation when Yahweh shows neither compassion nor sympathy for the arrogant and self-righteous Talmudist. Those who have postured themselves as better than others, more enlightened and virtuous, will be dressed down and labeled reprehensible by God, seen as repulsive for having been religious. Having served with Yahweh now for over two decades, I realize that 
not one, no one really, not even God, can prevail with an overtly religious, political, or conspiratorial individual. As is the case today with progressives, evidence and reason are irrelevant to them. So what is God to do with those who are corrupted beyond hope? He cannot allow them into the celebration of Sukkah on earth or into heaven without dishonoring himself and ruining the experience for him and his family. Mm-hmm. And there is no other place for them to go other than Sheol. Therefore, at this minute, at this moment, in the pleading days of year 5,999, yeah, not on Mamamadi's ridiculous time schedule, but on the one that began 6,000 years ago with the exile from Eden in year zero, and a thousand years later, with his introduction to Noah preceding the flood, and 2,000 years after the, the exile from Eden, the formation of the covenant in 1968 BCE with Abraham and then Yishak and Jacob, 1,000 years later with the, uh, the birth and anointing, the choosing, of the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Psalmist and Prophet Dode. A thousand years later, Yahweh would fulfill on the same mountain that he confirmed the covenant, Moria, through Yosha as the Passover lamb, and then his soul fulfilling Matzah, enabling Bakurim, and seven sevens later, offering the enlightenment and enrichment and empowerment that comes with Shabuah. That is what he has uh, done. And all we have to do is accept it, acknowledge it. But at this moment in time, there are no Jews. There's no Jews among those being judged that will know this. There will be in year 6,000, yeah, enough Yehudim, Yisraelites, to acknowledge Yahweh, to know Yahweh, to love Yahweh, to have accepted the terms and conditions of the covenant, to attend the Moed Mikre, to satisfy Yahweh's promise to have reconciled his relationship with his people. But depending upon the day that you are listening to this assessment of Judaism's final fate, should you be among the few who survive, you have until sunset, 6.22 p.m. in Jerusalem, October 2nd, 2033, the day of reconciliations in year 6,000 Yah, to decide. But why wait? Why would anyone in their right mind want to continue to associate with those God despises and has renounced as reprehensible? Behold, the day. Pay attention, it is coming. This doom will be brought forth and disseminated. 
the branch has blossomed and is flourishing by brilliantly reflecting this awe-inspiring scene as the presumptuous and arrogance of the conceited and contemptible bloom. The plundering of the people, the tendency to be wrong and bear false witness, along with the lack of moral restraint, has risen to new heights, becoming tribes of unrighteousness and immorality. There will not be one of them, nothing, of their uproarious and agitating multitudes, nothing of their abundance and wealth or disquieting and clamorous protestations, and nothing will remain of their preeminence. Ezekiel 7.11 It's the day of doom for Judaism. The branch mm-hmm. who is doed will have returned, holding the staff and scepter to repudiate the presumptuousness and the arrogance of those whose attitude towards Yahweh has become too contemptible to endure. The rabbis have plundered the people for too long, borne false witness for too long, have become the yeast that God sought to remove through Chag Matzah. And so now he is removing them. When we consider the formation of the covenant that's presented in the family volume of Yada Yahweh, we discover that Yahweh upgraded Abraham's name to, well, it was Abram's name, to Abraham. Abram, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. As a compound of Ab, father, and either Rakam, mercy, or Hamon, enriched and uproarious multitudes, I had always thought that as a merciful father, he represented our heavenly father, and as the Ab Hamon, he was symbolic of the enriching father of the covenant, as well as the father of the confused and riotous. The latter, I assumed, was a legacy of Ishmael's association with Islam and terrorism. And while that still might be true, as we proceed, it's going to become abundantly clear that Yahweh is now casting Abraham's wayward children through Jacob in with them, recognizing that the religions of Judaism and Islam have so much in common that he's going to cast them together. In fact, if it were not for rabbis selling Talmud stories to Muhammad, the Quran would have been little more than a collection of Yemenite poetry with a satanic and psychotic twist would never have survived Muhammad's death. Now, I have also concluded and we'll pick this up uh, uh, again mm-hmm. next week, but I do want to go on a little further, so we're a little bit closer. Uh, in fact, I have no question that we'll make it into the condemnation of of what is occurring in the Ukraine uh, okay. with the text of Yakitsel next week. But uh, it's because of what happens next, I, I just want to say that, uh, as you know, we... Uh, we have completely disproven the text of the Christian New Testament. Uh, now, that isn't to say that every word of it is wrong. I think the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as, uh, as preserved by the Ebonim, the Ebonites, mm-hmm. is, 
is sound. I think that much of the Olivet Discourse is sound, also preserved in Hebrew by the Ebonites, whom the first rabbis despised. Uh, and I think there are, are significant aspects of Revelation that while they don't cut new ground, as a paraphrase and explanation of what we read in Ezekiel and in Daniel and in Yashaya and Yermaya, uh, provide a bit of a handrail that in some cases makes it a little easier for us to see what's going to occur. So I'm sharing mm -hmm. that because there's aspects of what follows uh, that uh, appear to provide the witness uh, for which Revelation um, made a number of its statements. You know, for example, one theme in Revelation is a concern over buying and selling, uh, which will occur during the great reset of the world's derelict currencies and broken economies. Turns out the basis of this admonition is found right here in Yaketzel. Further in Revelation, there is an anti-Messiah, uh, falsely named the Antichrist, by being inappropriately filtered through the Greek lexicon, in addition to a false prophet, both representing the adversary. We also find the basis of that claim here in Ezekiel 7, along with hints of Satan's failed coup uh, as the god of religion that too is exposed uh, as the source of evil being thrust upon the world at this time. Again, we're, we are recording. Hopefully, though, this program will be uh, posted in and, uh, and, uh, the regular way uh, at the end of this program. Um, so for those who are still listening on the phone and for those who are listening to the archives, let's uh, go ahead and share this uh, from Yaakov El Sabbath. Please For do. indeed, the, the sellers will neither restore nor return, even charge for what they have sold for a duration of time in their lives. This revelation is directed toward their entire population, their congregations, their wealth, their possessions, their loud and confusing rhetoric, and nothing is going to change. Further, the man of iniquity his needs cannot continue to be satisfied because he cannot remain as intensely powerful or as overtly elevated in status. That was 713. Supply chains have been severely disrupted by the moronic and meddling politicians uh, such that inventories are not being replenished. Currencies have been so egregiously undermined with deficit spending and unrestrained monetary supply that money has no value. With so many government handouts, there is no longer a motivation to work. And that is why Yahweh's indictment is directed at everyone, secular and sectarian, political or religious, workers and rioters, national leaders and the media, conspiratorialists and protesters. The earth has become a cesspool of chaos. 
And out of this quagmire of global ignorance and immorality, of injustice and irrationality, the man of iniquity will emerge to lord over the souls he wants to worship him. Yahweh, however, can no longer endure Satan's malfeasance and his colossal ego. For Yahweh to rise in the minds of his people, Satan must fall. For God to empower the remnant of Israel, the religious gods must be delegitimized. Now there's another statement here that should haunt Jews reading these words. Yahweh stated that this revelation was directed toward Kol Hamon, the entire population of Israelites at this time. With Kol Hamon addressing each congregation, every flavor of Judaism from progressive to conservative to ultra-Orthodox is being condemned. With Kol Hamon identifying loud and confusing rhetoric, Israel's politicians are part of the rebuke. So are Jewish businessmen and bankers by way of their Kol Hamon, considerable wealth and possessions. With Kol Hamon, the entire rainbow coalition of progressive protesters are among those who low shub are not going to change. And that is exceptionally sad. It appears that all but a few thousand among 15 million Jews will remain too political, too liberal, too secular, too religious, too unreceptive, too stubborn to be saved. Neither the IDF or G-D is going to save them from themselves. Yahweh's Torah teaching and guidance, his Barith covenant relationship, and his Mikre instructions to meet are participatory. They're not forced on anyone. They are take it or leave it. And in this regard, one has to have, or one has to leave, I would say, the influence of man to be influenced by God. Since Yahweh just affirmed that the preponderance of his people will not do so. Kaporim is going to be sparsely attended. Just awful. Yep. And I suppose that is why this day is also being called the Day of Doom. Yahweh's history with Nasalma Adin, with a man with a conscience spans 6,000 years. Nearly 4,000 of those with the descendants of Jacob Yisrael. So it's safe to say that yeah, he knows them. And his report on what they have done and who they have become is not encouraging. And when I stack my encounters with the political and religious, the progressives and patriotic, conservative and conspiratorial Alongside his, I frankly concur with his assessment. No amount of irrefutable evidence or unassailable logic is sufficient to persuade any of them to change. And that is all she wrote for humankind in 
general and Yehudim in particular, because without Shub, there is no Che. So in this next statement, we're reminded that Yahweh's animosity is not only directed at society's most influential institutions and at society's most vocal individuals, but at everyone, because fewer than one in a million Goyim and one in a thousand Yehudim have responded appropriately. People continue to listen to the proclamations of the religious and political rather than the voice of the covenant. And this is a battle mankind cannot win. We'll conclude our program tonight with this, which is mm-hmm. Yaketzel 715. Okay. They, will, they will blow the trumpet, having decided and prepared everything. But no one's going to engage in this battle. For indeed, this is because my burning indignation and scorching animosity is upon the entirety of their agitated congregations and uproarious population. The sword is outside in the open to sever and separate in accord with that which was engraved upon Choreb. And the pandemic of widespread sickness and death, this plague of words, is starving within the family and home. Whoever is associated with the open and broad way will die. By the sword which separates and severs in accordance with Choreb's inscriptions. Then, for the good of the relationship, whoever is associated with that which is occurring in the city, he or she will be devoured by insufficient nutrition and plagued by sickening words, condemned by the famine and pandemic. Then the survivors who have escaped and the remnant not caught up in the impending doom, they will come to exist on the mountains like doves, considered clean and of the spirit, among those lifted up and growing up, the gay. All others will be riotous while lamenting their situation, intoxicated with desire, snarling, angry, enraged, excessively loud, and disturbing in their disruptive commotion. Each individual guilty as they are liable for what they have done. Yaketzel, God grows, Ezekiel 7.16. Well, Kirk, that's a scene few could have fathomed. But then everything changed rather abruptly. Simultaneously, Mm -hmm. really, with the assault of the pandemic and the destruction of the economy and people's judgment through the deprivation of liberty and livelihood, along with the riotous and disruptive response of the left and the right, it is as if the world came off its collective rocker. Yeah, and time speeded up. I mean, yep. for so long, it seemed like we know this will happen, this will happen, then, then, now, but now it's right in front of our face. Wow. Yep. Hamas but, attacked uh, Israel, I, and most people, the world over, blame the victims with what was 
essentially a repeat of the Cuban Missile Crisis played out in the Ukraine, Putin was blamed for the war that NATO provoked. Taiwan will be the next to fall as the world moves rapidly from riots to wars, from too many controls to being completely out of control. Hmm. And while the world's currencies and economies have been deliberately trashed, plunging the planet recklessly towards the Great Reset. Mm -hmm. There's still no accountability. Simultaneously besieged by a virus and oppressive public policy, supply lines have been severed and food is now in short supply. The picture painted long ago of a time quickly approaching is beginning to materialize before our eyes. And as bad as it is today, as irrational as progressives are who are in control of nations, the media, academic, uh, academic and academia, social uh-huh. forums. Yeah, academia and social mm-hmm. forums. And the religious and the conspiratorial poisoning of minds elsewhere. Clearly, all hell is about to be unleashed. Mankind is devolving rapidly as chaos reigns. So we'll pick it up uh, at this place uh, this time uh, next week. (laughs) We will... I might even uh, conclude the uh, the the uh, this chapter, which would be a a marvelous thing to do. We we made considerable progress because we we jumped ahead. We we uh, did not cover Hosha in hopes of uh, of making it well into this, so that we could cover why the Ukraine from uh, God's point of view. I, I think it's a uh, a riveting discussion. Um, mm-hmm. Even uh, the those who have edited these books now multiple times with me, and there are, I don't know, 15,000 pages of, uh, of books, even um, say this is a real page turner. This is um, no question. Uh, this is must read uh, material. You're going to see specificity of God's prophecies. Going to know what God hates and uh, and how God responds. I can tell you that you don't want to be in the Ukraine. You don't want to be rooting for them. You don't want to be fighting for them. Um, I'm not suggesting that uh, you want to be on the side of Russia. Uh, no, no, sir. I'm not a fan of uh, of Putin, uh, and I recognize that. There is no way to win the war that he has begun, and there's no way now for this invasion to um, to end peacefully. Um, so we're going to explain how it happened. We're going to explain why it happened there, and we will uh, share with you um, how this is simply the next step and the degradation of the earth to the point that God has yeah. to clean house before he returns. Well, God just don't forget, does he? I mean, the other day when you remember when you was talking about uh, uh, Petra, he don't yeah. forget. <laughs> he don't forget mm-hmm. this. I mean, he just don't mess with my children. 
No. As bad as they are, he'll take care of them, but don't mess with my yeah. children. Yeah, and that's okay. basically the problem with Ukraine is that the most virulent, the most outspoken, the most corrupt version of Judaism in the long history of the religion's repulsiveness exists today. Uh, the, it's, that's his birthplace. Uh, the Heredi variation of the ultra-Orthodox, those are the folks with the black suits, the curly cues, mm-hmm. the black hats. Uh, they uh, they live in, in uh, hives and move about in swarms. Um, God despises them. And their religion was conceived and disseminated, metastasized in the Ukraine. Beyond that, the most disgusting acts by any group of people upon the God's people took place in the Ukraine. The worst of the pogroms are Ukrainian. If you look at a map of the frequency and intensity of pogroms, these vicious attacks on Jews, some 80% of them took place in the Ukraine. And while God is disgusted with his people, that he is going to hold them accountable, it's his job, not, not anyone else's. And so when others, like the Christians in the Ukraine, victimize God's people in such a savage way, God doesn't forget. And there's hell to pay for doing so. And when it comes to the ultimate degradation of God's relationship with his people, fundamentalist, ultra-Orthodox, Hasidic Judaism. God does not forget where that occurred either. Yes, there's a reason the Ukraine was targeted among all nations of the world. And we'll get into precisely why that occurred on both sides, both being wrong, as we make uh, our way into this uh, program uh, next week. So may Yah bless. I'm, uh, I'm not apologetic for bringing this harsh news. We, we've been doing this now yeah. for 20 years, and we very, very seldom focus on, uh, on God's uh, animosity for his people. But frankly, uh, he had a lot to say. It's, it's about it, and it's our job to report it, because frankly, he's trying to wake up of futures. As he said, I, my message here is not going to be in vain. It, it has a purpose, and the purpose is that, that there will be some Someone who meet me and acknowledge me yeah. and return before the day of reconciliation and look up to me and exclaim my name. And one of the things we're going to learn as we go through here the thing that God is the most angry about because of its overall consequence on his relationship with his people and the poisoning of the world with religion is the removal of Yahweh's name from his testimony by religious Jews. Yeah, I get it. 
And by the way, that happens to be, Kirk, the um, the third statement that he eyed in stone. <laughs> yes, he, right uh, there he, in stone. He, he said, you know, it. it's the only unforgivable sin. Yeah. I will not forgive this. I will not forgive this. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is the verb that he used to describe it, Shoah, became mm-hmm. the system, the name of the system, yeah. the of how they use how they did uh, it. Used, yeah. rabbis actually used to disguise the pronunciation of Yahweh's name. My Lord. It, it's just like <laughs> Paul admitting in his second letter to the Corinthians, oh, by the way, I'm demon-possessed. Yeah. There's a thorn in my side. Come on. Uh, yeah. Demon-possessed. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> the rabbis said, value. yep, that's us. Uh, show up. Yep, that's we're, us. we're guilty mm-hmm. of that. Show we did it. <laughs> Yeah, we up. did it. We're admitting to it. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's like in uh, in Islam, the thing that is considered good is halal. Halal happens to be Satan's name. Yeah, you know, introduces us to his name twice. It's halal. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's good in Islam. It's like I'm. Duh. Yeah, I'm going to make this so blatant, God, that I'm going to show you how stupid your people are that I can fool them even when I tell them, oh, by the way, uh, the God of religion is, uh, is me, Satan, the adversary, the Lord, and, uh, and they'll buy into it. God does really stupid. Why, do you, why did you sacrifice so much for them? They're not, they are not worth it. Well, I beg to differ. Yes. Yahweh was happy with just Adam. He was delighted with Adam and Chava. Mm-hmm. He was loved really Abraham yeah oh goodness uh, God found his man in um, in dote yeah. Moshe and is clearly incredible. you know yeah we yeah. had a wonderful relationship with Shamuel with Ezekiel oh, yeah. with Jeremiah with Yashiah all the prophets really and so yeah. um, and while well, Moshe and Yahweh started off a little rough um, Moshe became the most extraordinary orator, the most insightful man uh, the world has ever known. And so, uh, you know, God's happy with with a person. I mean, listen, God would have gone into Mitzrayim to free his people with Moshe alone. Uh, So, you know, at the end, God has two witnesses. One for comic relief, uh, Elia. Uh, you know, uh, the other, I guess, to do the dirty work. But yeah, uh, <laughs> go tell him. But, 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 yeah. So I, you know, I'm going to tell you that Yahweh is not like the religious. He is not like the political. He is not impressed with numbers. No. If if God was happy with Adam. And you have a thousand Yehudim, and I think there'll be uh, many thousand, many thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that show up for Yom Kippurim, prepared and excited to witness Yahweh's return, uh, and there to greet him. Still going to be delighted with. He's going to be delighted yeah. with that. That's several thousand more than he was already happy with. Um, so well put. Yes. I wouldn't well put. be sad for Yahweh uh, that um, 
that it will be so few relative to the number that exists. I'm sad for the people who will miss out, yes. but I'm delighted for it. those who will be part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly. And, uh, you know, it is, as they say, it is what it is. And God has made it really clear this is the way it is. So I'm just going to do everything I can to encourage Yisrael, Yehuda, and Goyim. Listen to the words of Yahweh. Uh, he is not going to allow anyone who is overtly political, conspiratorial, or religious into his home, into heaven, or even to survive his return. And his return is just 12 years away. 11 years away. So please, Reality check, huh? Yeah, wow. listen to what he has to say. And And by the way, you may not have that much time because <clears throat> the world's going to be at war. A lot of people are going to die. Yeah. And yeah. God has given you a life insurance plan where you can live forever. <laughs> all right. So uh, look forward to being with you all next week. Uh, happy uh, Shabbat to, uh, to one and all. Um, this is a story with a very happy ending, although there's going to be uh, a lot of darkness between now and the time that mm-hmm. the light returns. But between now and then and our program next week, may you bless And I look forward to being with you next week. Good night. Okay. Good night.